Hey guys, welcome back to the Honor of King podcast. This is Lee, and we are back with a new series uh, entitled, Who is the King of the North? And so, in this series, we're going to take a look at uh, Daniel 11.40 through Daniel 12.2. So, 11.40 through 12.2. Many people would consider this to be the toughest prophetic scripture to unlock. I think that's a subjective thing. It is. It's very complicated. And there's a lot of pieces and it ties into Revelation. It ties into Thessalonians. It, um, it's, it's stuff that uh, is written by Paul. There's stuff written by John. There's stuff written by Daniel. All this ties together into a great big narrative. But once you understand this and you see it, what's being explained in this scripture then it, it's pretty easy. Once you see it, you see it, and you're going to get it, and it won't be as complicated anymore. So uh, the way that we're going to handle this is I'm going to start with Daniel 11.40, kind of like Pulp Fiction or like maybe in one of these movies where they show you the very last scene of what happens, but then you go back and start over to see it and work your way up to that point. That's what we're going to do here, and I feel like that that's the best way to get people to understand what I'm what I'm talking about. And this study is so spiritually important to all Christians; it just is. Um, all anything in the Bible is important, but this is one where people need to understand this because the system that's around us is so insidious. And it can deceive even the elect if possible. And we have to understand what these prophecies are saying so we can better navigate this world that we're in. We're not to be of this world. We're just to be in it. And we're aliens. And we're passing through it. But it's easy to get caught up into this world if we don't understand what the scripture is saying. And... uh so that's what that's what our objective is going to be here. It's important to note, by the way, that Daniel um, is told to seal up the book until the time of the end. And so through history, people weren't able to understand this. When, when, when something is sealed up in the Bible, it means that the scales are on people's eyes. They are not able to understand this stuff until a certain time. Now, the time of the end, of course, is not the end of time. Time of the end does not mean Jesus is returning at that moment. It is referring to Daniel's prophecy, the 1260-year prophecy. And um, when that ends, that is the time of the end. That is the, the time that the two witnesses of Revelation are uh, witnessing for Christ and um, and then they, they are killed after that or whatever. But that, that 1260, when that ends, which is 1798, you can do the math on it, um, that's the time of the end. That's when, after that, is when Daniel was unsealed and the Holy Spirit allowed people to start understanding what it meant. And But what that also means is that there's a lot of counterproductive, and heretical teaching out there telling people what this means. And as as you guys know, for those of you who have been with us, um, 
the whole point of this podcast is to break down these false narratives about the Bible and to get people engaged in their Bibles themselves because it's so critically important that each person has a relationship with their Bible in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. We have to stop taking everything that we know about the Bible from man. We can't, you cannot live on just what your pastor says on Sundays. You can't just go with, you know, the verse of the day. You know, you can't do it. You can't go to YouTube, your favorite pastor on, you know, whatever, your podcasts or whatever. You can't. You have to go into the Bible for yourself. It's the whole point of this. And the reason people don't understand what these prophecies are saying and are led down the wrong path is because we as Christians have become lazy and we have gotten away from the word of God and we're just heaping up for ourselves teachers, as Second Timothy would tell us. And we just listen to what they're having to say. Satan's, you know, advances against us. Part of it is, you know, eat up our time. Eat up our time where you don't have time to get into scripture. You got, you know, kids soccer and got to get the groceries and have to work over and have, you know, this, that, and the other. There's so many things going on. It keeps us out of our Bible. Um, but we need to make time. It's critically important. Uh, I'm not saying it's more important than your prayer time. I'm not saying, I'm saying it is equally important and you have to do it. Otherwise, you will fall victim to things like, um, this Jesuit counter-reformation teaching that, you know, emerged in 1590. Um, Francisco Ribera wrote this book and it is completely reshaped what people think of Revelation and Daniel and everything. And it's all, it, it makes sense if you read it, but it doesn't. And if you start digging in really hard, you start realizing all the error that's in it. And so anyway, with that, I've got gotten kind of crazy so we're gonna we're gonna start with daniel eleven forty, just that verse to get the listener to understand where we're going and then we're gonna go back to the beginning and we're gonna work our way to it <clears throat> so with that let's uh have a word of prayer and then we will start our study father in the name of jesus babylon is fallen is fallen you have commanded us, come out of her, my children. Help us today, Father. Help us to understand your prophetic word. Open our hearts. Open our minds. Change us from the inside. Lead us out of Babylon, Father. Drain the river. Set the captives free. Those of us, the kings of the east, set us free. Liberate us, Father. Help us understand we no longer want to be part of this Babylonian system. We want to be part of your church. We want to be in your word. We want to be covered under your grace. And we just thank you for this opportunity for this study. And we thank you for the word that you provide for us. We thank you for the love and grace required for you to put this book together, that we would have it and that we could learn from it. And we just ask that for all the people out there listening and, and myself, that you put it into our hearts to seek this book, to hunger for this book every day that if we were to hunger for it and get into it our lives would change our understandings would change our viewpoints would change we would become the new man that we're supposed to be in you father so we just thank you we ask you to bless this message bless our listeners and we just thank you father in the name of jesus the mighty and holy name amen
Okay, so here we go. And scripture says in Daniel 11.40, At the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships, and he shall overflow into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. We're going to dig deeper into all these verses and break them down a lot harder. But this, Daniel 11.40, is what we're working to with this study that we're, we're going to conduct now. We're going to go back through Daniel to work our way to this. And our focus is on the king of the south at pushing against the king of the north at the time of the end. Okay? Uh, so we know that in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel, his friends, and all the people of Judah are in captivity. Nebuchadnezzar has already sacked Jerusalem and taken the people into captivity. So we actually have to go back to the events that lead up to Daniel 1. So we have to go outside of Daniel just for a second, but what we're going to do is we're going to get the tangible model for the king of the north and the king of the south. The there will be actually three powers. I'm trying to just break this down to the brass bone so everybody can follow along with this because I know it's complicated and it's not so much that I think that you guys might have a hard time understanding it. I just want to make sure I'm explaining it correctly. I want to make sure I'm doing a good and thorough job giving you the information. So I'm just trying to slow down a little bit. I'll probably, this just this introductory part will probably be a couple episodes just so... Everybody has the gist of what's happening. But what we're going to have in this model is you're going to have a king of the south, which is literal, a literal king, but that king is going to be used as spiritual by the time we get to Daniel 11.40. And you're going to have a literal king of the north, a counterfeit, that's going to be used spiritually when we get to 11.40. Then you're going to have a true king of the north, which is not counterfeit, which is Jesus Christ. So we have actually three different kings going on here, and that's what makes it kind of difficult. Now, I just want to preface all this by saying, remember in our other studies, when we looked at the tabernacle and we talked about the table of showbread on the sides of the north, when we looked in Isaiah, Isaiah tells us that Satan, the um, wanted to set his throne on the sides of the north in the Mount of Congregation. And the sides of the north in the tabernacle system is the table of showbread, which represents God's word. And then we looked in Revelation and realized that the seals were talking about the spiritual uh, relation of believers to God's word. And how they were either true or being corrupted, right? So all this is about being the king of God's word, being the king of the north. We know that Satan will return and masquerade as Jesus Christ. He is going to come back as a counterfeit and then be obviously destroyed by Jesus Christ. So this model that we're talking about here will have these entities put together in a storyline, and then we will see how that King of the North title is built up and exchanges hands. It changes hands. It's like a, 
the title deed passing between new owners all the way until we get to 1140. Okay, so what happens before Daniel 1 is we have four powers, four kingdoms that are constantly battling back and forth with each other. But it's it's harem scarem. Sometimes, you know, they're allied with one another and then the next time they're at odds with each other. This kind of is shuffling around. These four powers would be the remnant of the Assyrian Empire, Babylon, Egypt, and Jerusalem. Um, but in this particular time frame that we're interested in, we have Egypt and Babylon are coming head-to-head against each other quite a bit. They've had a series of battles. Nothing has been conclusive. They haven't. Nobody's been able to claim dominance or victory over the other. So, um, at this time, while Egypt and Babylon are at odds with each other, Nebuchadnezzar is chosen as God's instrument to take Jerusalem and to bring his people into captivity. This is where the model starts. This is where the first King of the North title is established. King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon. Um, so we look at Jeremiah 25, 7. Yet ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. He's talking to his people. His people have been warned. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, will bring them against this land. So he is already prophesying, um, he is already prophesying that Nebuchadnezzar is going to take Jerusalem, and he's going to be his servant. So we look at Ezekiel 26, 7, and it says, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon Tyrus Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, a king of kings from the north, with horses and chariots and with horsemen and companies and much people. Now, you, right here, this establishes Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the north, a king from the north, the northern king. And notice the wording here, with horses and chariots and horsemen and companies. So that goes back to Daniel 1140, and that, lang- that similar language is used. So Neb- Nebuchadnezzar is our literal king of the north here. It's important to note that Nebuchadnezzar is chosen of God. He is God's instrument. But as we'll see, he won't act godly. Right? He will be puffed up. And the image that he gets in Daniel 2, he will be puffed up in his own glory. That he's been chosen. He's the head of gold. All you know, everything has been put under his feet. So he will be puffed up and then start demanding people worship him. His self his pride will lead to self-exaltation. So he will be our model of the Counterfeit, king of the north. A literal king, but he's a counterfeit. So, um, now when he is in route to take God's people, he's attacked by Pharaoh Necho II from Egypt. Now, if you just even just look at a map, you'll see that Babylon is north of Egypt. So this, 
now makes Pharaoh Necho the literal king of the south in this particular story. And so the spiritual king of the south will be Egypt. The spiritual counterfeit king of the north will be Babylon. And then the true king of the north will be Jesus Christ. But here we have uh, Egypt is now going to come after Babylon. This attack will not be conclusive and Egypt will pull back. Um, Nebuchadnezzar will regather his forces, abandon, well not abandon, postpone his attack on Jerusalem, will turn and come back at Egypt and defeat them, then turn, resume his, his mission and go to, to Jerusalem and sack the city and take the people into, into um, uh, bondage or I'm, my, the words escaping me right now, captivity. Um, so we see that in chapter two, which we'll get to, but we see now that the king of the south has attacked king of the north. King of the north has come back and defeated him and has taken the people captive. Now this king of the north is getting a vision or a dream that's interpreted by Daniel. It says he's this head of gold and it leads to his self-exaltation. And by the time he gets to chapter three, he's now created an image of himself on the plains of Dura that people are to bow down and worship. So this not only this confirms his counterfeit king of the north, his false apostle status, but it also goes into something else that's talked about in Daniel eleven forty through forty five, this him setting up this image. So we will come back to that, but I just want to put that out there. That is part of the King of the North, King of the South story. So, but he'll be told though that those that empire will be seceded by another lesser empire, which will be the Medo Persians, um, and then he will pass on, and we will move forward to the point where Belshazzar, his grandson, and some accounts I see it's his son, but I believe it's his grandson, is now the king of Babylon, and therefore he has taken the King of the North title from Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Belshazzar uh, has taken the vessels, the holy vessels from the temple that was sacked in Jerusalem, and he's having a party, you know, and he's desecrating all these items. And at this point, he's gone too far, which is also important. And the finger of God reaches out and writes on the wall a warning. This warning says that, that it, he's going to go down. And that night, Medo-Persia Empire shows up. King Cyrus takes Babylon and therefore takes the king of the north title. He, it now goes from Belshazzar, the counterfeit king of the north, to Cyrus, who's a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. Cyrus is now the king of the north. He has defeated the counterfeit king and the king, who, who who countered the conquered the king of the south. So the king of the north assimilated the king of the south. They became one. Now the true king of the north has taken them all out. That's the model. That's the model for all this. Now in Isaiah 
45, 1 through 4, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue the nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings, to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. And I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou, uh, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. So Cyrus is the Lord's anointed, not his chosen. He does come. He takes Babylon. He um, drains the Euphrates River and lets the captives, gives them a free path home. You know, he, he frees the captives. These would be the, in prophecy, the kings of the east. The kings of the east, he sets them free. And you'll see, of course, that in the modern versions of this, <clears throat> all these people have been freaking out about the Euphrates River drying up, and it's a sign Antichrist and, and is here, and on and on and on. But what it, that's spiritual, and what it means is when in the end times when Jesus, the true Jesus, will dry that river up to set the captives free, he will create a way for us. And it's talking about when he when we will meet him in the sky at his return is what that prophecy is actually uh, saying. So, but there is our model of how um, the king of the north, king of the south, all comes together. <clears throat> now I got a little something extra. Um, this, <clears throat> excuse me, this isn't germane to our study, but it's just a little something uh, fun to look at. In Daniel 1, we see that um, Daniel's already in captivity. We're seeing that he's in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And by the way, there are 12 books in Daniel. The first six are historical. Though they do contain prophecy, they're historical books. And Daniel's not receiving visions and, and prophecies there. The kings are. Daniel's interpreting them, but he's not receiving them. And it's more, it's a history. When you get from seven to 12, those become the primarily prophetic books. And now Daniel's the one receiving the prophecies. But so in Daniel one, he's in the court and he's tested at the king's table with the king's meat. He's tested. So this reminds you of something. If we go back and we look at um, the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, the very first temptation that Satan brought against him after Jesus had fasted for 40 days was to try to get him to turn the, the stone into bread. And um, Daniel's first test that we, we see about in here is over food. It's over hunger. So that's just kind of interesting. Um, that's all we really need from Daniel 1. Daniel 2, we'll continue with that thread just for a second. He's given, Nebuchadnezzar's given the dream. He's the head of gold. All things have been put under his feet. He is an agent of God. This puffs him up. This makes him, puts him in a place where he wants to be exalted and worshiped. Um, he wants to take the place of God here. 
and be able to call his own shots instead of God calling him. He wants people to worship him instead of God. Um, all this is happening. So we go to the temptation in the wilderness again. And the second temptation is um, Satan misquoting the Psalms, telling Jesus to throw, throw yourself down because it's commanded that the angels will bear you up before you, you strike your heel. And he doesn't completely quote, you know, he leaves some of that out. And Jesus says, you know, don't, it's for it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So he did the same thing that went on with Nebuchadnezzar. He tried to tempt him with pride in his position, making him say, your, your position's high enough that you can go against God. And so that's the, that's our little uh, comparison in chapter two. So now we'll get on to chapter two. Chapter two gives us the image of the man. That's the, what people would call the metallic empires. And so um, we'll get into that. This forms the basis that chapters two, eight, and 11 work off of is this is the first mention. This is written and repeat and enlarged just like the gospel. So when we see this story, which I'm not going to dig into it too much, when we go to chapter 7, it will fill in a bunch of details and expand on this and so forth. And 2, 7, 8, and 11. So we go to Daniel 2, 31. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and from there, uh, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and arms of silver, his belly and thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till a stone was cut without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them into pieces. Okay, so this model right here, this is, this is the bare bones model, is showing, this is going to teach us the succession plan of the king of the north. And then culminate in the true king of the north returning. So, you know, the, the, head, the head of gold, this is Nebuchadnezzar, this is Babylon. The arms of silver, or the breast and arms of silver, this is the Medo-Persian Empire. The belly and thighs of brass is Greece, Alexander the Great. And the legs of iron, part of iron and clay, this is Rome. And their legs, because the empire was split into two, East and West Empire. Um, and then, of course, it has feet, there's ten toes, and we'll see that there are ten kingdoms, ten horns, all that that come out later. So we start with the very first king of the north, which is the gold head, and we end with um, thou sawest till a stone was cut without hands, which smote the image upon the feet. That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. So this little four-verse section has given us the outline that the other chapters are going to build upon to get us to Daniel 1140. Um, I don't know if we really need to go into the interpretations as much because it kind of, it just gives us most of the things. 
that we need to know. So we're going to go to chapter 3. We have our baseline there. In chapter 3, we see an idol which is made that Daniel and everybody else has to kneel and worship. Daniel is tempted here with false worship. Um, just as Satan offered Jesus the whole world if he would kneel down and worship Satan. So here we have the third temptation shown in chapter 3 of Daniel. Like I said, that has nothing to do with this study. Just an observation that I thought would be fun to share. So, let's see. In chapter 3, uh, Daniel 3, one. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning fire. Okay. So if they don't worship this idol, this golden idol, that is three score cubits high and six cubits wide, then they will be killed. Daniel 3, 5 says that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, uh, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set. So let's look at that again. You have the, the cornet, one, the flute, two, the harp, three, the sack butt is four, and that is a four-stringed harp. We learned that from uh, Strong's Hebrew 5443. That's a four-stringed harp. We have the psaltery, which is five, and we learn from the uh, Strong's Hebrew 6460 that that's a triangular harp. And then we have a dulcimer, six, which we learn from Strong's Hebrew 5481 is a drum, flute, or a bagpipe. So isn't this interesting? We have an idol that is three score cubits so how many is three score? That's 60. By six, you have 66. And now we have to worship when six instruments are played. Six, six, six. Revelation thirteen fifteen, And he had the power to give life under the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Revelation thirteen seventeen through 18. And that no man might buy or sell save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is 603 score and 6. 666. So we see with Nebuchadnezzar's image in Dura, that it's not only the image of the beast, it's the number of his name. And so this is Nebuchadnezzar. This is our counterfeit king of the north. This is the one that's, that starts out looking like he's working in God's power. 
but then turns to self-exaltation. That's incredibly important. This archetype is incredibly important. He is working for God. He is a representative of God, but he goes the form of self-exaltation in the end. He's a false apostle. So, unfortunately, I don't think I got enough uh, information out in this particular episode, but this is just a starting point. We're at 32 minutes. I wanted to try to keep these at about a half hour. So I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call, I'm going to put an end to this episode now, and then we're going to come back and resume in chapter seven, which I'm literally going to do in about a minute after I you know, start this over. So, uh, but that is it. Thank you for listening. I hope this under, uh, I hope this all made sense. Um, and we will continue with seven and we will build upon what we just saw in chapters two and three. We will build upon that in seven. Then we will go to eight and build on it. But eight zooms in, leave some of the other stuff out. It zooms in a little tighter. Uh, and then eventually we will get to 11 where our study begins. So, Thank you for listening, and until the next episode, we will see you later.